I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Dr. Stephanie Estima is the founder of Hello Betty, a community centered around female empowerment through health and business coaching. She's a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. She's the host of the Better podcast with Dr. Stephanie, featuring the world's leading voices on health and wellness. Dr. Stephanie released a best-selling book, The Betty Body, where she shares her proven strategies to help women jumpstart and calibrate their metabolism, revive their libidos, rest guilt-free, and elevate their emotional well-being. Dr. Stephanie's mission is to inspire women on a global scale to be the best versions of themselves, both physically and emotionally, through the power of easily accessible female health education. Dr. Stephanie has been featured on Thrive Global and the Huffington Post and has amassed over 3.5 million article reads on medium.com. So please welcome to the show, Dr. Stephanie Estima. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so honored to have this conversation with you and to have you here on the podcast, especially because you're in the health and wellness uh, field and that's our, our focus here on the show. But I just wanted to Thank you for your time and your energy. Thank you. you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. It is going to be so fun. And I love when I get to interview other podcast hosts because it's like you guys are professionals at this and it makes it a lot easier on me. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Often when, um, you know, you're talking to other podcast hosts, they are, well, let's say someone who's unseasoned, they're always sort of like looking when they can jump in because we're doing this over, you know, online. So it's sort of like a 2D experience, right? So yeah, it is. I, I agree with you. I think that when we have other, uh, when you're talking to other podcast hosts or people who do television or media consistently, there's just a, you know, there's going to be an elevated conversation here today. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm excited to jump right in. 
But before I get to where you are presently and how you got there, I would love to know, what did you want to be as a little girl? And is that connected to who you are today? Oh my goodness. What a funny question. So when I was in grade one, I think everybody did this exercise, you know, grade one, grade two, something like that. Um, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. That was what I, I drew a picture of me in a rocket and fixing the rocket and like, you know, so that's, uh, <laughs> so that's what my grade one ambitions uh, were. Didn't quite make the, um, the uh, aeronautical engineer status, but I do feel like I am on a rocket ship of a rocket ship of sorts uh, in that I am trying to change the narrative around you know, what it means to uh, be a woman, how to advocate for yourself as a woman, how to understand things like your menstrual cycle, if you're in your reproductive years, what the transition to menopause can and should look like, uh, why we want to reject some of the tropes that Hollywood tends to throw upon us where we have to cut our hair and, you know, whatever. I mean, you can cut your hair if you want. It doesn't matter. But like, you know, like these, these sort of like, you know, stereotypical, like what it means to be a mom, you know, you lose your libido and now you're no longer interested in some of the things that you did, you know, prior to having kids, all of these sort of things. So I am on a rocket ship to really change that um, conversation. And I also think that there is a conversation to be had that is not necessarily sex specific, but how we can, as men and women, uh, or and you know any uh, anything in between, uh, to really optimize uh, brain function, brain metabolism, um, because that benefits you know not only on the micro level, like the individual, but the macro level as well. Yes, I love it. I love it. So, okay, explain to us how you got to where you are today, where that passion for what you do now stems from. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, as you mentioned uh, in the bio, my background is in, uh, you know, formal training as a chiropractor, um, which if you've ever been to a chiropractor, you know that, you know, this is a doctor who focuses on the neuromusculoskeletal system. So brain, bones, and body, right? So often you'll go to a chiropractor, let's say for it's usually an ailment. So it's usually like I'm having neck pain or I've, you know, I broke my wrist or I have to rehab my knee or back after an accident, something like that. So there's a lot of interplay, um, of course, between the body, like joints, muscles, et cetera, and how the body is constantly talking to the brain and vice versa. And prior to my formal training as a chiropractor. My undergrad, uh, undergraduate degrees are in neuroscience and psychology. So have just always had a longstanding love affair with the brain. And, you know, we talk about the brain and we talk about mindset and it's like two, it's like one, it's two sides of the coin, right? It's like brain health and mindset. It's sort of the same thing and all behaviors, everything that we do stems from our belief system. So if you uh, let's say you self-sabotage or, you know, you have a certain, uh, you know, maybe you dress a certain way or you're trying to hide from, you know, because there's something in your past or there's some schema, there's some, you know, filter that you're applying uh, that is driving those behaviors. And then prior to that, you know, before I was uh, in university, always uh, like, you know, actually part of the way that I actually paid for both university and chiropractic school uh, was because I was a fitness teacher. So, 
any of you are from, you know, the uh, 2000s, I was the step queen, I, like high, low and tie box, all the stuff that I was doing, all that stuff, tie bow. So was just really into um, like the community. Like I really loved, you know, even like step, I still have a step, like in the spirit of like honesty and ch- I still have a step. I still have like my, vi- like my DVDs from the eighties that I just love that I'll do from time to time because there's like that community aspect that I really fell in love with, with, with group fitness classes. And I think that it's actually something that people really cr- like, particularly in this post pandemic, hopefully we can call it post pandemic world now where we've all been isolated for several years. And I think that that was really highlighted how important we are to each other, how much we need each other, how much uh, we are more alike than we are different. And so that kind of through line of community and doing something positive, you know, like in you know the case of high, low aerobics or step or whatever, like doing something fun together, I think is like really lights me up. Yeah. So you were talking and I'm like, you know, first of all, when you're talking about the step, I'm like, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so me, my step is actually right there. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, when you spoke about the connection between, you know, the mind and the body, I'm a huge fan of studying how the body functions and the brain and how our emotions are connected to what happens within our body and all that stuff. Like, you know, I've read emotion code, I'm going to, I pre-ordered the body code, all that stuff. I would love if you could just explain for the women at home listening a little bit more about, you know, how that connection actually works, our body basically listening to everything that the mind says and how it affects us physically. Yeah. Um, well, you know, on the most basic, call it mechanistic level, there's sensory afferents that are coming from like your body's basically monitoring where you are in space, what the temperature is like, you know, at all points of the day. I mean, it's so much information actually that it's, it's most of it's beyond our conscious awareness. Like, you know, right now you and I are sitting, we're maintaining a posture tone, we're digesting a meal that we had earlier, you know, today there's a certain uh, heart rate that's happening. There's a blood pressure that's being maintained. Like all of this stuff is constantly, there's constant information um, that is being thrown up, let's say through these nerve, like, you know, either chemical messengers, hormones, uh, nerves, like sensory afferents, as I mentioned, back up to the brain. And then the brain will have a response with kind of descending pathways, or there'll be a, you know, a chemical response, let's say with the pituitary, uh, hypothalamic pituitary axis or what have you. So all of those things are happening all the time. Most of it's beyond our conscious, uh, perception. And even I would say a lot of our thoughts Uh, that we have a lot of automatic thoughts that happen. Like, you know, if you've ever had the situation where you've driven somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? You know, like it's because you've driven that route maybe 500, 1,000, 2,000 times and you just literally turn on autopilot. You turn right at the stop sign and then at the Starbucks, you turn left and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that happen that are beyond our conscious perception. And these We'll, we'll say the subconscious there it's always sort of like per, it's always sort of throwing up let's say these thoughts and uh, dr daniel amen talks about this concept of ants a n t s automatic negative thoughts um and so we have tens of thousands of thoughts and a lot of them can be you know particularly if we and we can we can 
we might, we might be here for a long time <laughs> trying to unpack all of this, but you know, if you're, let's say a woman, I mean, and even the word woman can be a bit nebulous. Like, are you a, you know, are you a woman of African American descent? Are you a woman who of Indian descent of European, like, you know, of like, where are you from? And then what's your age? And then what's your menstrual set? Like, you know, we can start slicing and dicing up like categories under the broad term woman, but for simplicity, uh, you might say, you know, what is it like for a woman to kind of grow up in what is mostly a, you know, a patriarchal dominant society. And that can be, you know, there are some very positive things about living in a patriarchal society. Like I don't want to go to war, <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's the guys that are called up to war. I don't want to lay bricks, right? Like that's not my, that's, I want to be home with my kids. And I like, so there's some beautiful things about, you know, a patriarchal society, let's say. Um, but there are that, you know, that can vacillate into extremes, right? Like there can be toxic, aspects of it. And we kind of see this exacerbated on social media where women in some, not all cases, but in some, some cases, in some instances are expected to look a certain way to maintain, let's say a certain weight to never look like they've aged. Like if you have a gray hair, like you run for that bottle at the, you know, at the drugstore or whatever. Um, so there's, Oh, you know, there's that also that cultural aspect of sort of growing up as a woman, like what did your family believe what it meant to be a woman when you were wrong or when you saw an aunt or a mother or a sister, how, how were they treated? And so you have all of these unconscious or subconscious, we'll say, um, belief systems around what it means to be a woman. And that can be skewed you know, depending on, let's say your ethnicity, where you grew up in the world, and all of those are kind of percolating up into those thousands and thousands of thoughts um, that we're having on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, and I mentioned it briefly, but are the schema that we've created, the belief system that we've created about who we are, like what it means to be you know, for me, a woman of Middle Eastern uh, descent, let's say for you, it might be a woman of like African American descent and like, what's the culture? And of course, even African American, like we have like the Caribbean and we have like all these different, you know, all these different places with very unique, specific sort of cultural underpinnings. So we grow up in these cultures, we, we sort of, we take on belief systems from our mothers, our fathers, our teachers, our preachers, all the, all the places. And then those are kind of, often running the show, um, in our day-to-day -day active present life. And they're often beyond our con like many of these thoughts are beyond our conscious, um, perception. So, um, that, that's sort of how I'll start the conversation where you'd like to go from there, uh, is, is, is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you talked about our programming, right. And our, are, you know, we're all programmed from we're young based on the environments, like you said, that we grew up in our, you know, our morals, our values, all those things come from the environments that we were conditioned in. Um, I would love to know, because I also feel like the beginning of our program also opens up the door for us for, I guess, how we continue in life. So, you know, we're all born into a particular set of circumstances and our values are defined by what we experience. So were you born into luxury or were you born into hardships? Um, because that affects our paradigms, right? Our habitual way of thinking. Right. 
Are you asking me if, how I was born, what well, my situation? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, for me, I was, I would, you know, I was born, my father's is Portuguese, my mother is of Lebanese and uh, Syrian descent. So Middle Eastern and uh, European, let's say. Um, I would call it middle class. Like we, um, you know, I never worried about, you know, were we going to have dinner? I never worried about, you know, uh, I never worried about where food was coming from. There was always a home over our heads, let's say. Uh, I do remember there were a couple of like salient, uh, like kind of emotionally salient uh, moments for me. Uh, And this was in tune with like kind of the last sort of, well, maybe not the last, but, you know, we'll say the first recession uh, that I remember, which was kind of like in the eight, like late eighties, early nineties, where I remember there was like a lot of tension with money. We didn't know if my dad was going to lose his job, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I remember comments being like, like Christmas is, we're probably not going to have a Christmas this year. And like all of those kinds of um, we'll say, you know, just like stuff that I picked up. I don't remember someone lit, sitting me down and saying like, we're poor now. Uh, but I do remember the, uh, the recession at that time, like really impacting, um, my parents. So I was, you know, in my youth, we'll say like worried for them. Like I didn't know, I didn't have any control over it. I have no idea about financial markets and like recessions and cycles and things like that. Um, but I would say generally I, you know, my upbringing has been like middle, middle class, like no, like not, it wasn't luxurious by like, we never had, you know, my parents would shop at uh, a store. It's, it's not in, um, not in effect anymore, but it's called byway. Like that's where we would get all of our, (laughs) like for fall, I would go to, you know, this um, kind of discount shopping store, let's say, and that's where we would get our clothes from. And uh, there was always lots of great food. Some of my favorite memories are, you know, every Sunday we would go over to my on my Portuguese side, they would, ha- they would have like a big Sunday dinner and it was like the codfish and the potatoes and the cabbage and the, you know, the, all the things, like all the t- kind of traditional uh, Portuguese fare. And then I lived with my Lebanese grandmother. I would live with her actually every summer I'd be with her. So, uh, and then I remember her and her sister. So my great aunts, like they would cook together at the table. They would make some of these Lebanese pies. Like it would be basically it's like a pizza dough sort of thing with like cheese on it or with like pine nuts and meat. And I remember my grandmother, she had a really, like there was a certain butcher that she would go to at a certain day. And it was like that day where she would go and get the meat and then she would like grind, he would grind it up for her and then she'd come home and season it. And then we would have it raw. Like it'd be raw. Like I think it was a, fillet. I can't remember. I want to say it's a filet, but I can't remember uh, exactly the cut of meat, but we'd have it with some pita and raw meat. And I know that that might sound like insane today, but it was like <laughs> so normal for me to just have raw meat and some pita, like some Syrian bread with her. And yeah, so <laughs> Middle classes, <laughs> the short answer, and then the long answer is what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You, you all, okay. So you spoke to, you know, tradition and, you know, what was normal for you growing up. And I feel like normal for everyone is different. It's just based on, you know, where you are again, environment. I've found over the years that some cultures have traditions or norms culturally that are either traumatic or healthy that affects how we've processed things until we come to the point where we realize we need to do our own healing work. We need to, you know, do the work for ourselves. 
Was there anything traditionally for you or that was considered normal that you had to unlearn and relearn? Oh, that's a great question. I would say, well, I think the, well, it's not more obvious, but um, I'll say both sides in terms of, you know, my ethnicity or my background, you could make the argument that specifically with respect to being a female, um, that the role of a woman was to kind of get married and have children and be a homemaker. And I am all of those things now. I am a mother. I proudly make sourdough bread. Like I love to cook, but there was a time where I really rejected that, you know, because I also felt like I had a lot more to offer than just my biology. So I didn't want to be just a baby maker, even though that is the greatest blessing that I've ever been gifted with is my children. So I have a lot of reverence for the tradition or the, we'll say the push to have children early and to learn how to cook and all of those things, because I do work with a lot of women now who have fertility, like they're in their forties and they're like, okay, careers did like I'm making lots of money and now I want children and they're having a really hard time doing it. So I would say that for me, I'm, I'm kind of a blend I would say now. So, you know, just, and also just being a mix, that makes a lot of sense. Right. But, um, I would say that I had, I actively pushed back against that. I remember my grandmother, on my Portuguese side would like cry when she saw me because she would see like her test to like how, you know, for her and she and like, you know, I say this obviously with like love understanding, like her, like she was loving me to the capacity that she could. Right. And like with her own sort of schema in terms of what's right for me, but she would, for her, being overweight was actually a sign of wealth, right? So you find this in very various poor, uh, you know, kind of communities, let's say, um, and, you know, my grandmother and grandfather came here from Portugal. They actually moved to Canada, um, uh, an area in Canada, a province in Canada called Quebec because they speak primarily French there, um, which is similar enough to Portuguese that they could understand kind of what was going on, but like they never spoke like they speak very broken English. So she would see me and cry because she would see how thin or her, in her words, I was like thin. Right. And she would do this little test where she would like grab my wrist. And because she couldn't grab a lot there, she'd be like, Oh my God, like, you know, you, this woman is, this child is dying. Like, what are you feeding her? Right. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that resonates with you. In any way. Oh, completely. <laughs> I, I get it. There's a lot of cultures that that is their belief that if you are um, on the thicker side, you're doing well in life because you can yes. afford to eat. <laughs> you can afford to exactly. So that was my that was my grandmother's sort of shtick with me. And then you know when I went to university, the whole thing was like, why? What, like, what is the point? Why are you need, like you're wasting time? You know, like you, you should be. You, should, you have a boyfriend. Like just like do the thing and get the get the babies. You know, like that was sort of her. <laughs> Her thinking, like she had no, she couldn't see any value for that higher education for me. Yeah. On my Lebanese side, 
they are Lebanese Christian. Uh, so now primarily, uh, or I say the majority, let's say of Lebanese people now are Muslim, but without getting into like politics and history, like there was like a big war and then all the Christians left. And like, you know, we have the, you see that in many Middle Eastern countries, like Egypt is very similar. Uh, there used to be like the Coptics, you know, et cetera. They're more Orthodox, let's say. My family is Orthodox, uh, which is a branch of Christianity. Uh, now, both of those countries are primarily um, Muslim. But again, in the Middle East, you know, very f- famously and even very salient right now with this, you know, I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out, but we have this sort of revolt that's happening in Iran mm-hmm. where uh, there was a woman who was murdered essentially for taking or not wearing her headdress in, in the way that the morality police felt were um, was appropriate. And so that's kind of been a, a very, you know, I, I've never been to Lebanon. I, I would love to, I would love to see Beirut, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if I feel safe, but it's mm-hmm. very kind of famous in Middle Eastern societies that we are, we are property. We are very mm-hmm. much second class citizens. We are ca- like just kind of on par with cattle and you step out of line and, you know, there, there are rules, you know, like there are rules around like how long you can get beaten and how you can, be, you know, and how you have to, how many steps behind your husband you have, to, you know, in certain countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, I'm referring to like, you can't actually walk down the street, like in step with your husband, you have to stay a few mm-hmm. um, steps back. So all that to say that I kind of grew up with, and, and I will say to my mother's credit, she very much rejected that. So she was sort of like a, in her best efforts to kind of be a, a feminist, you know, in, in mm-hmm. whatever that meant. Right. So she didn't want to marry, uh, a, like she wanted to marry outside of, uh, outside of her, her race, we'll call it. And she didn't want to be subject to that. And my grandmother who, I like I feel so, like so my grandmother's no longer here but I still feel like she's around like I still talk like we we still talk you I don't know how, like, she's, she's with me yeah I have yeah. a little I have a picture of her and I when I was 3 and anyway so she I mean you have to think about the the bravado that this woman had so she was uh I mean living in in Montreal at the time where she met my grandfather and they wanted like at the time my grandmother's so my great grandmother uh, wanted to marry my grandmother off to someone else. And she was like, nope, my, you know, my grandfather, like, this is the man I want to marry. And it's like, in, in the, you know, we'll call it like in the forties in a small, in, Mon- in Montreal, it was, it was in Montreal, like they met in Montreal, but uh, in Montreal, Canada. But this is like where there were small little secular, like little uh, immigrant populations in these cities where they all, like everybody just kind of married, like stayed within the, and she was like, absolutely not. This is the man I love. No one's going to tell me who I'm going to, and it's, it's so ballsy. Like it, it's so, it's so impressive. So all that to say, kind of rejected this idea that women are cattle, that women don't have any place, let's say, in universities, that all we are are baby-making machines. And then, you know, find myself having absolutely horrendous menstrual, like my period was just, it felt like I was being punished every month for being a woman, just terrible flow, moodiness, body hurt, had to, met like, felt like I had to medicate it in order to kind of get through it. Mm-hmm. And now... I don't know if this is like a joke, but now I'm like a, a, you know, an educator, like a woman's health educator, you know, so I'm a doctor who are, who's teaching women about their menstrual cycles uh, and how to empower women to make better, let's say, decisions around their health and for their family's health. And I really do value um, 
you know, part of my work and my understanding of my work up until this point is really having reverence for your fertility. It is not the same in your 40s as it is in your 20s. And as a woman, you know, if you are if you are in your reproductive years, including menopause, we, uh, perimenopause rather, we really do need to be optimizing for that cycle because it is for women a vital sign. It, it like just like heart rate is respiratory rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation for a woman. If your menstrual cycle is off, it is your body's way of telling you that something is off as well. So, wow. So there's so much that I want to unpack there. I'm like, where do I start? (laughs) A couple of things. So, you know, you spoke to your grandmother's upbringing and stuff like that, where I can totally understand um, what you're saying. My ex-husband was Muslim from like South Asian country, but I understood, you know, the the rules and the hierarchy. Yeah. The the boxes that you have to try to fit into. But I love, you know, how ballsy your grandmother was, was like, yeah, no, not doing this. (laughs) I can relate. But I I also wanted to speak to the test that your grandmother did, you know, the pinching your wrist. um, Yeah. Yeah. The fat test. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, you know, our, our parents and our caregivers are often our loudest fans or critics, right? Where do you feel that you receive the most amount of praise from? Uh, I received a lot of praise for my schooling. So for my mother specifically, was very proud to see me succeed um, in school. And I did really well in school. I do think that there was a little bit of, oh, you got 85%. Like, where was the what happens to the other 15? Like, you know, that kind of (laughs) comment, you know? So I think that that drove me because I wanted a lot of praise. I wanted, I wanted to be seen as like different and I wanted to kind of prove myself. So that really did drive. And I would say, let me, I'll say, so when my, when my, so my parents split up when I was 16 years old. So prior to that, I could care less about anything. So it was like, I, like school came easy to me. It just kind of like cruising through whatever grades I got, whatever grades I got, I put like two minutes of time into anything. And then um, when they, uh, when they split up, there was, uh, you know, it was, it was a difficult uh, uh, breakup in, in, in many ways. Um, but that really did I, I really realized at that point that I had to rely on myself. And so my interest in school became almost like an obsession. So uh, I was always praised for like, hey, you got an 85%. Like, and like, hey, where's the other 15? Ha, ha, ha. And then parents split up and it was like, I was 99 or bust. Like it was like A plus or bust because there was a lot of tumultuous, like many years of like feeling uh, like just like the bickering and like the, you know, the lack of support on both sides and how they both handled it. They were both in their own trauma uh, all the, and sort of forgot that they had children that they were raising uh, as well. Certainly don't fault them for that now because I've done enough work to understand that they were like, you only rise to the level of your weakest links, right? Yeah. So, you know, they were doing the best that they could with the tools that they had, but it was really, that was kind of an inflection point for me where, I was kind of like kind of getting B's and A's and whatever I got. And then it was like, uh, absolutely not. Like I need to rely on myself. So I was praised the most for my intelligence, I would say, from my mother, from my father. I'm trying to recall. I'm actually drawing a blank. I would like think, I think my inclination is um, about around being 
like pretty or well-behaved. Actually, yeah, it was, it was well-behaved. Like he wanted well-behaved children. It's kind of that old adage, like children should be seen and not heard. Wow. That was sort of his whole belief system. So if if I was, if I was acting out, like that was like mortifying for him. So he really wanted like someone who like stepped, who was like fell in line, didn't embarrass him. We looked like the perfect, I was smiling family, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I, I also wanted to unpack what you, uh, when you were ending answering the last question where you talked about um, our menstrual cycles and perimenopause, yeah. mm-hmm. because I think a I think a lot of the women that are listening could benefit from understanding that piece. I mean, I had horrible periods growing up. I got my period from when I was like 10 or 11 years old and could remember as far back as I can remember eight day periods, like cramps super bad the first three days that I can't even go to school. I can't walk. And now passing that on, I have two daughters in their twenties right now and their periods are deadly. Myself personally, I had to have a hysterectomy when I was 39 And I have a sister who is now 39 and she's dealing with perimenopause. So there's so much information that we were not taught or didn't know growing up. So I would love if you could give some advice to the women that are listening now um, when it comes to those two things and, you know, their their cycle and, and perimenopause. What advice would you give to the women that are listening? Sure. Yeah. I think the first thing you should do is start collecting data if you're not already. So track, track track your cycle. So I, there are many apps. Uh, most of them are free. Uh, I use a clue app, which like I have no affiliation with them, but I just really like, uh, the user experience. Like you, you know, just push a button when you're, you know, there's like, is, is your, you period start today? Is it light, medium, heavy? You know, uh, what is your sleep like? What's your hair look like? What's your skin like? If you are measuring your basal body temperature, you have that ability to do that as well. You can also um, make notes on your cervical fluid, which in and of itself is a different masterclass. Every woman should know everything about their cervical fluid. It's not just like snot in your underwear. It's actually telling you something about your, and like we, and it's so funny because I say that as a joke, but it all like, we're not, as you mentioned, we're not taught anything in school. Like there's like maybe an uncomfortable day or two in bio, in like high school bio, where it's like, here's a banana. Here's how you put a condom on it. Here's a reproductive system. And there's like, you know, here's a penis, here's a vagina that, you know, the sperm comes and it fertilizes and then you start to see uh, division and then it eventually implants. And like, you, you know, you get some kind of uh, very high level, I mean, certainly that information is important as well. We want to understand how the human race, you know, propagates. Um, but for women specifically, there's not a female centric curriculum around what it means to be a woman. Like when you are pre-menstrual, what is happening? When you get your first period, what has happened? And then now how are you distinct physiologically from your male counterparts? Because, you know, and I say this when I'm talking to patients, I talk about this on the podcast as well. Um, Men are like the sun and women are like the moon, right? So men kind of go through, they're kind of pretty steady state. Like they're kind of the same every day, you know, like just like the sun rises and sets and has kind of a predictable rhythm. And the moon is the same thing. It's predictable, but it, 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 the whole kind of cycle plays out over a much longer period, about 29 and a half days, which coincidentally is the average mean length of most worldwide of a woman's menstrual cycle, 29 and a half days. And so we are different every single day of the month. 
<laughs> you know, like week to week is a, an entirely different hormonal composition. Okay. So it is important for women to understand that not from, not only that, you know, we have these different hormones, but it, it affects our mood. It affects our sleep. It affects our performance. It affects when, you know, for you to know, like when you're fertile, like, you know, I would mention the cervical fluid, like your cervical fluid, which is kind of that mucusy stuff that you'll see sometimes during the month during, you know, in your underwear actually gives you a lot of clues about what, what's happening with estrogen. Are you fertile right now? You know, all, all of these different, all of these different things. So for women who are listening, the first thing that you need to do is understand your unique cadence, your unique rhythm. So something like clue, or there's, I mean, there's so many of them. That's just the one that I use. Um, but any period or any menstrual tracking, um, app is going to give you a lot of data track for three months. And then you're like, Oh, okay. So she said 29 and a half, like I'm a, like a 27 day girl. And then you can monitor that over time because then when something, you know, for perimenopause for a lot of women, because we don't have data, you, you, you might say to yourself like, gosh, I feel different, but I can't really quantify it. So when you, let's say you go to your allopathic physician and you say like, I'm not sleeping. I used to sleep like a baby and now I'm waking up all the time or now I have night sweats or now I'm, I'm gaining all this weight and I don't know why it's not like the things I used to do in my twenties are no longer working in my forties. You know, the, the likelihood that you are going to get a prescription for the birth control pill, which is a conversation unto itself, but, uh, and I'm not, I will state my bias. I'm not a fan of the birth control pill for a perimenopausal woman. But the likelihood that you're going to walk out with a script for the pill is very high because again, you can only, you know, like we were talking about my parents, you can only rise to your weakest link. The same is true with medicine. They can only give you what they know. So they're going to say, oh, well, you have problems with your cycle. Let me give you something that's going to help you with your cycle. And they think it's helping and it's not. Uh, I mean, they think it's helping. I would, I would counter that uh, and say that it's not helping. It's actually just masking the symptom and your job, and and that might be required intermittently while you're figuring out the problem. Like maybe you need to be on a medication to help with some of the symptomatology that you're experiencing if it's if it's affecting your the quality of your daily life. And, you know, you mentioned like you had to stay home for three days. Like, you know, you can't hold a job if every, you know, out of the 20 business days, you're only there for 17. <laughs> it's, it becomes very difficult. Hence me becoming an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Hence me become exactly, exactly right. Like I'll set my own schedule. I work 17 <laughs> days and those three days are personal days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for, but for the rest of us, you know, like, you know, if you're not able to become an entrepreneur, uh, you need to be able to figure out what on, you know, God's earth is going on. So tracking is, is a really big thing. I outline a lot of different strategies. First, you know, in my book, uh, shameless plug, I'm going to talk about my book, the Betty body. I talk about a lot of, of, of the different hormones that are involved in your menstrual cycle. Kind of the first, I think it's five or six chapters are actually dedicated to like, you need, here's like E is for estrogen, you know, T is for testosterone, P is for project. Like, and we talk about all these different hormones, how they can go awry, like proper lab values, et cetera. And then the latter half of the book is like, okay, here are some interventions that you might consider. And we talk about sleep hygiene. I talk about, um, I talk about, uh, macronutrients and macronutrient cycling, like how you might in some weeks of your cycle have more protein have in some weeks of your cycle have more total calories have more fat etc um and how we can also augment um exercise as well over the course of the cycle as well to match 
those hormonal environments. So um, I'm not sure how much detail you want me to go into. I'm happy to go into more, but I think the the key here is understanding that you're different every single week of the month. Uh, you have there's you know when we think about the menstrual cycle, there's sort of four main things that happen. One is your first week is your bleed week. Everybody knows when that's happening because you're wearing some type of cup or, you know, tampon or something. Second, uh, part of the uh, second part of your cycle is that you are pre like pre ovulation and then ovulation, which by the way, is the main reason for your cycle. Like everyone, like I always say like the period, like our periods are like the popular girl in high school. Like everybody pays attention to our periods. The main point of your menstrual cycle is to ovulate. It's to release an egg. If you don't release an egg, you're not menstruating properly. Um, so the second sort of pinnacle, let's say, is pre-ovulation and then that that point of releasing the egg from the follicle. And then after that point, uh, we move into something called the luteal phase, which is where we will see, um, you know, kind of a different hormonal composition where we'll see progesterone increasing. Your body's kind of waiting to see whether or not that egg is going to get fertilized, keeps building up the endometrial lining. Um, it's like, okay, like any day now, sperm's going to be here. Like we're going to, and then we're going to make this five-star hotel for this like baby. And then at some point your body's like, no, it didn't happen. We got to, we got to get rid of it. We got to start again. Right. And then you shed the endometrial lining that shows up in your, you know, cup, whatever as blood. And then, you know, and so the cycle begins again for perimenopause. The one thing I wanted to say, um, is that it can be a really, it, it can be a moving target for, for many women. So I do talk a lot on my podcast in the book, a lot about nutritional strategies, fasting, uh, resistance training, very, very important for women uh, in their perimenopausal and menopausal, I mean, any, any woman, any age, but particularly perimenopausal and many menopausal women need to be lifting heavy, heavy weights, uh, to kind of build out bone density, muscle, uh, size and like total lean muscle mass so that we, I mean, there are many things, but some of them, like you're going to look better, but the other, the other kind of things around that is that you're going to be a better, um, as we age, we tend to become more insulin resistant. So having more muscle actually helps counter that. Uh, it also helps with sleep and preserving some of the sex hormones like testosterone, um, which is the, you know, the other sort of gem I'll, I'll drop for your listeners is that is the main sex hormone for women everybody thinks it's estrogen. And yes, we have more estrogen than the guys, but testosterone, we have more testosterone than we do estrogen. So things like hair loss, loss of libido, brain fog, vaginal dryness, pain during sex, poor lubrication, these are all direct, these are all under the function of testosterone. So you, the more muscle mass you have, obviously the more testosterone you need to kind of maintain that. So you have this sort of positive effect on your gynecological uh, system in that like we are also able to maintain the vaginal wall, the muscles of the vagina, um, you know, your orgasms, which is just basically like tonic clonic. It's like a, uh, it's like contractions are also going to, you know, remain. Uh, it's not going to be painful or you're not going to have a problem reaching orgasm, that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know where you want to go. From there. <laughs> yeah. This is where like the men are like, okay, I'm out. You know, if there's like the, the two and men that are still listening, they're like, she said cervical fluid, I'm out of here. <laughs> 
I was going to say, thank God, majority of our listeners are women. Yeah. All of the women that I interview on the show are women. So for any of the men that are listening, if you can't handle what we're saying, it's okay. Go grab a yeah. coffee. <laughs> I will say, I will say, I have three sons. Okay. So I am the mother to three sons. And I am just waiting like a peacock <laughs> for their wives to be like, thank you. Because <laughs> my kids from the beginning, it was like, these are, we're not calling these wee wees. This is a penis. This yeah. is, they know the difference between a vulva and a vagina. The whole thing is not a vagina. The exterior yeah. part is your vulva. They know that they know the names. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's important, you know, f- for the two men that are still listening, <laughs> you are going to have such an unfair advantage because you're going to know way more about, you know, if your partner's female, assuming that your partner's female, uh, you are going to have a, a, you know, a competitive advantage, or even if you just, you know, maybe you don't have a female partner, but you have women in your life that you love, you know, or, you know, you see your mom or some, you know, an aunt or something like someone or a friend, a colleague who's struggling, let's say mm-hmm. in menopause or perimenopause, these are some of the life saving, like this information in many cases, like I hear so many times per week, like, I wish I knew about this earlier. Like, thank mm-hmm. you so much, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I asked you to go a little deeper on, um, you know, the menstrual cycle and perimenopause, because I'm like, how am I 43 years old? And I know nothing about perimenopause until my sister was like, uh, yeah, they said I'm perimenopause. So I started to look into it and realize, you know, with the the hormones fluctuating and how, you know, the different types of depression and all the things that can happen. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I need to be a source of support for her. I need to know more. But even everything that you shared today, like that'll help give the listeners like an idea of, you know, what to look out for and to go and get deeper information on some of these things. Cause I'm learning new stuff from you today too. Right. Awesome. I love Thank that. you. <laughs> You're <laughs> Thank welcome, you. man. That's awesome. Yeah. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you to learn more from you and about you. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the free resources, if you will, is the podcast. So I, like you, I'm a podcast host. It's called Better with Dr. Stephanie. And we have a mix of, you know, I interview, uh, as you mentioned, sort of thought leaders in terms of science and wellness and mindset and all of that. And there's also a combination of that. And I also have solo episodes on there as well. Um, for example, this, these last, these, uh, coming weeks is going to be sort of like a, we'll call it a nerd sermon on fasting for women and like how we're different from men. And those are all, um, you know, extracted from a talk that I gave, um, uh, recently. So better with Dr. Stephanie podcast, the book is called the Betty body named after my listeners of the pod. So my podcast is called better and my Bettys are the fans. So Betty's fan of better. The Betty body is the name of the book. Um, those would be the you know, two great places uh, to start. And then on Instagram, I'm Dr. First name, last name. So Dr. Uh, Stephanie Estima. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I will definitely have all the links for them to stay connected with you in the detailed section under your episode. So they don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly. Wonderful. So for the final segment of the show, I don't know, I used to call it a rapid fire, but it doesn't seem to be so rapid because, you know, stuff gets unpacked, but (laughs) it's kind of like a rapid fire. So you let me know when you're ready and I'll start shooting the question. Ready. Ready, Freddie. Yeah. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Ooh, Dr. Shafali, her most recent book. Oh my gosh, what is the name of it? It's honestly one of the best books that I, is it on my shelf? I can't remember, recall the name of it, which is so embarrassing. Um, you know what? And I'm like, why do I not know it? Because I read it too. 
Purple. Radical, radical awakening. That's there it. Rad- <laughs> radical awakening. Dr. Sh- one of the best books I think I've ever written, uh, read on this, written, I wish, uh, wrote, uh, read on the, on the subject. Uh, one of my favorites, I thought Dr. Robert Lustig's book on metabolic, it's called metabolical, mm-hmm. which was like part expose of big food and big pharma and a very technical explanation of how we age through mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative damage and cell membrane integrity. It was kind of this like, here's how you age. And this is what big food and pharma are doing to make sure that you age faster and that you're sicker and fatter and more unhealthy. And it was kind of this really like, cause he's a retired pediatric endocrine. So he gives zero Fs, like yeah. doesn't care. <laughs> he's like, I'm out of the system. Let me, let me tell you what they're doing. Uh, so I really enjoyed his book. Yeah. Those are two, yeah. Two really great books that I, uh, that I've read recently. Yeah. Um, I love Dr. Shvelli's book. Um, and I think when I came to the Archangel Summit, it was like mainly to hear her speak, if I'm being honest, like yeah. I just, I just love her. Yeah. She's fabulous. Absolutely. And so are you. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, what failure has taught you the most about life? And do you have a favorite failure? Oh, this is really good. Favorite failure. Okay. So I think my favorite, if you can, yeah. Yeah. Favorite failure is recognizing there was a moment my kids, for whatever reason, they're boys, they're running around the house, they're breaking my beautiful house. And I, <laughs> and I was, like I was trying to separate them. They were fighting. They were like scrapping, doing something. And they were yelling at each other. And I was like, I was distracted. I was doing like, I had something else that I was like, I had my mind on. And this was just like an unwanted, unpleasant kind of, you know, uh, uh, intervention. So I was like, can you guys stop yelling? And I just, the irony that I was screaming at the top of my lungs, yelling at them to stop yelling. I was like, stop yelling. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, okay, where did they learn how to yell? <laughs> so I was like, oh, damn, damn. Back to the drawing board on that one. So um, I apologized to both of them because I, you know, I what followed was just like word vomit. Like it was mm-hmm. just like, and you're like this and you're like this. And don't you know that I need this right now? And of course they don't care what mommy needs right now. They're <laughs> ego, they're egocentric as they should be. Right. Right. So, uh, anyway, I like just ripped into them like a jerk. Um, and, um, very quickly realized like what an ass I was being and, um, apologized to both of them. I asked them if I can get a redo, um, which is like, can we have a redo? Like mommy, like I'm yelling at you because I was distracted and I'm sorry and et cetera. And I've really tried very, Hard. I don't, I'm not always successful. Um, but I would say 90 to 95% of the time when I want to yell, I, what I, I catch myself, like my frontal lobe is like, okay, girl, like, I know you want to go limbic. I know you want to go limbic on me right now, but just take a breath, just take a breath. And, um, and sometimes I'll actually just like count to 10, which is, it sounds so dumb, but I'm like one before you answer, just, you got to get to 10. And sometimes I get to 10, sometimes I get to seven, but like by five to seven, I'm much calmer than I was literally five seconds ago. And I yeah. caught myself from kind of going rogue. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I love it. I, I love that you even use that as your, your answer and your example, because you know, we're human. We all, 
loser-ish sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always interesting when our kids are showing an example of the behavior that we <laughs> allowed them to mirror. <laughs> and we're like, what, right. what are you doing? <laughs> like, how dare you act like me? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my next question then is, how has motherhood changed you? Oh, God, all the ways. Um, I would say, I would say that being a mother, I said this before, is truly the greatest gift that I have ever been given. Um, there's really nothing like, like, gosh, I'm gonna get emotional. Like, there's like nothing like feeling a child move through your pelvis. Like, honestly, it is, I know people like they poo poo your labor and whatever. I, my labors were not fun. They were difficult. They were a lot, they were painful at times, but like feeling that baby's head and body move through my pelvis. Like I just, anyway, just the greatest gift um, as a human to be able to give life to other people. Uh, I would say that being a mother has given me an appreciation for human potential and that I didn't have prior to you know, you all, you know, you sort of always believe in yourself or you believe in other people. Um, but raising children, I think you really get a sense of, you see their curiosity, you see how they're making sense of the world, you see how they're categorizing. And so my appreciation for human potential, for curiosity, my own capacity for forgiveness, um, both for myself, because there are times like I just <laughs> explained to you that I'm not my highest self. Mm-hmm. Um, and all like my capacity to forgive them, of course, is like instant. They're always immediately forgiven. But I think for myself, I've had to learn how to forgive myself for not being the perfect mother, which is a schema that I previously, like, I'm not going to do what my mom did. I'm going to be the perfect mother. And of course you end up sounding at some point you lose yourself like, Oh my God, I just sound exactly like my mother. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So forgiveness for myself. And um, also I'm the other thing I'll say is that there, they are a mirror for like, you know, you can walk around and think you're woke like nothing. You're nothing when you're like, when you are my, you know, my older son, and there's always like, you know, Shafali will say, there's always like a spiritual teacher. You have like the easy child, and then you have the spiritual teacher who pushes you, pushes you, pushes you. <laughs> so my spiritual teacher, you know, one of my sons, he'll be like, yeah, you think you're like, here's the mirror here. Look, look. <laughs> right. So he's constantly reflecting back to me, uh, points, let's say in my nervous system, in my past, like a trauma that I still, that still resides, like there's residue still there mm-hmm. um, within me. So I would say uh, it's been a gift in that it's been a, uh, like a tool for, for healing. And like in the times when I screw up, which is, you know, often, um, you know, they like for them to be like, it's okay, mommy, you're human. Mm-hmm. Like my, my sons, are, like they forgive without consequence with that. They're like, no, no, of course, mommy, we love you. You're a mommy. Of course we forgive you. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's so like to, and also to be loved in the way that they love unconditional unconditional love is just, it's really special. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Our, our kids are like amplified (laughs) 
<laughs> versions of different parts of us. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about, you know, the first child versus the, the spirit child that I was just like, yeah, I have one child that is my shadow self amplified and I have yes, a child absolutely. that is my light self amplified and I have one that's just a mix. <laughs> right. Right. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> I get yeah. it. I get it. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, when was the last time you cried? Oh my goodness. Last night. I cried last night. I was feeling, so we've been making um, some changes in, I was saying to this before we started recording, like we're making some of these changes uh, in the company. Um, you know, we've let some people go who uh, like very, like I'm going to cry even saying this, like just like love the person. They're just like not in the right seat on the bus anymore. And, you know, it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to be uh, a business owner and let somebody, let someone go. I think it's probably the least favorite part. So like, there's a lot of change and which is really exciting. Like it's, there's, you know, it's really exciting and, um, there's grief, like there's grieving. And so I was, I was crying last night. Um, my, uh, my partner right now is in the States. Uh, he's filming part of his next, uh, movie. And so I was like, you know, I had like the house to myself, which is like, I really appreciate because I was like, you know, examining my pores and like doing my little hair treatment, <laughs> you know, all the little sing- secrets, you know, single behavior uh, that we all sort of have. And then I was like thinking about what was going on in the company and like, I was crying, but it was, I was crying, like, I was crying, like there was like a grieving part, but then there was also, it was almost like, and I'm so excited slash petrified for the growth that we're about to experience because now I feel like we're getting all the right butts in the right seats. And I think that, um, yeah, being seen is, uh, is like a a little bit of a trigger for me. So like knowing that we're going to be sort of catapulting some of the goals that we've decided and we've set for the next, you know, year in the next decade, uh, is, is, scary, exciting, petrifying, all kind of wrapped in one. So last night I was crying. Wow. Thank you for not only sharing so much of your wisdom, but like being transparent and your authenticity. Like, thank you, Stephanie, for even the work that that you do on your own platform. But I just want you to know how much I value and appreciate your energy and your time here today. I learned so much from you. And I've been following you on Instagram for how long already? So I'm just like, all of our listeners, I need you to go over to Stephanie's socials and follow her on them so you can stay connected and learn more from her and about her and definitely go listen to her podcast and read her book. Um, thank you so much, Stephanie, for gifting me your time today, especially I know when you've got three small children, because I've got three bigger ones, but they can be a handful. So getting the time <laughs> to, yeah. to do these things um, is definitely appreciated. So thank you for that. Thank you. It's been a delight uh, spending time with you today as well. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. And to all you healers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And I just want to thank each and every single one of you that tunes in each week to help the show rank globally in the top 1.5% of most popular shows. I would love to challenge you to share this episode with three friends. Share this episode with three friends that you feel would gain value from hearing the tools that Stephanie had to share with us today. And you can screenshot this week's episode and you can tag um, Stephanie at Dr dot stephanie dot estima you can tag myself at the real mckinney smith 
And I just want to thank you. You know, a healing community, or should I say a healthy community, is a healing community. And a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.